Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, happy birthday, Redemption! Happy, happy, happy birthday! Today is going to be an amazing day because today is our four-year anniversary as a church. That is four years of answered prayers. That is four years of friendship. That is four years of faith. That is four years of life change through who? Jesus. Life change through who? And I am fired up. I am so, so excited to be able to celebrate with you because today is going to be an amazing day. Not only is it our birthday, but today is also Baptism Sunday. How many of you are excited for baptisms? Last time we checked, we had 35 people today who have signed up for baptisms. That is incredible. If you're getting baptized today, we love you. Thank you so much. And if you did not know you were getting baptized today, we got a t-shirt for you. Don't worry about signing up. We'll get you dunked. Give your life to Jesus. Jump in the water. It's going to be incredible. Amen. But not only is it our birthday, not only are there baptisms, but there's also burgers. I love hamburgers. It's so incredible. Today is going to be a great day. And all of this is a way to celebrate what God is doing in our church. And from the bottom of my heart, me and my wife, Ashley, and our two daughters, Esther and Ruth, we just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being such an average church. How many of y'all love just being average? Doesn't it feel good to come in third place? How many of you just love being normal, middle of the pack, mediocre, audacious, mediocrity? How many of you, that's you, you love being average? How many of you woke up this morning and when your feet hit the floor, you got on your knees and you were praying, Lord Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, make my church average today. How many of you, that was your prayer? You love being average. Anybody? How many of you parents, you want to just be average parents? Okay. Any of you married, you just want an average marriage? Okay. How many of you, when you go to the heart surgeon, you want an average heart surgeon? Okay, how many of you, whenever you're getting on an airplane, you want an average pilot? So like graduated, like 2.9 on the GPA, like that's what you want, right? How many of you, you love just being average? When you invite your friends to redemption, you're like, you need to come because this Sunday is going to be the most basic Sunday of the week. It is going to be so incredibly average. How many of you just love being average? No? Okay, how many of you want to be great? How many of you want to be great moms, great dads, have a great marriage? How many of you want to raise great kids? How many of you want to be a part of a great church? Amen? There's something inside of us that longs for greatness. And many of us, we're in church, and so you're wondering, is it okay for me to want to be great? Is that okay? Because we're in church. I thought we were supposed to be humble. No, it's okay for you to be great. It's okay. And inside of all of us, there's something that longs for greatness. And here's how I know. It's because, well, we aspire and we are inspired by those who are great. How many of you enjoy reading? Okay, I said enjoy. Okay, good. How many of you enjoy reading? I love reading. And I read a lot, and I read a lot of different types of books. I read, you know, fiction books, nonfiction books, Christian books. I read um, secular psychology books. I read philosophy books. But there's one type of book that I try to read a couple times a year, and it's called biographies. And when it comes to biographies, well, they write biographies about people who inspire us, people who do great things. They don't write biographies about average people, right? They're not like, hey, here's Hank. You know, he worked at the plants and his wife was a dental assistant and they raised three kids and then he died, the end. Okay, you know, they don't write that book. Do you know why? Because, well, it's not going to sell because it's people who do great things that inspire us towards greatness. That's why we read books about men like Dr. Martin Luther King. That's why we read biographies about women like Rosa Parks or Frederick Douglass. That's why we read biographies about great pastors or thinkers or theologians like John Calvin or William Wilberforce or Martin Luther. That's why we read these books and we learn from the men and the women who have gone before us because they inspire us 
to do something with our lives bigger than ourselves and to be a part of something that is greater than ourselves. There is something inside all of us that longs for greatness. And we're going to figure out today, how do we achieve greatness? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And today, as we're continuing our sermon series through the simple gospel, Jesus, he is going to teach us the secret to greatness. We're in a sermon series through the gospel of Mark. And when it comes to the book of Mark, I want you to understand that Mark really is a biography. Mark is a biography of the life of the ministry, of the history, of the person, and of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus, he is the greatest. That Jesus Christ, he is the greatest man who has ever walked on the face of the planet. Jesus is the greatest. Jesus loves greater. Jesus serves greater. Jesus forgives greater. Jesus is greater. And the book of Mark, it really tells us the life and the greatness and the glory. He is more wonderful, more amazing, more incredible, more wonderful, awesome, exciting, more famous, more infamous than anyone who has ever walked the face of this planet, that Jesus has more books written about him, more songs sung to him, more paintings painted of him, more lives have been changed by him, that all of human history really hinges upon the life of Jesus, B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest, and because Jesus is great, you and me, we can be great. So here's what Jesus is going to do today. He is going to give us three secrets to his greatness. The first secret is, how many of you want to be great? How many of you want to be great? Everybody else wants to be average, I guess, right? How many of you want to be great? Everyone be great? Okay, this is going to be great for you because Jesus is going to teach us the secret to greatness. Here's the first secret. You ready? You need to learn how to suffer. How many of y'all didn't see that one coming? You know why you didn't see that one coming? It's because it's a secret. There's a lot of people who will never be great because they never learn how to suffer, and they never learn how to suffer well. And so Jesus, he's going to tell us the first secret to greatness is that you need to learn how to suffer. Here's Mark 35. And James and John, those are the disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Let's just pause there. That's funny. Yeah, that's funny. Do you ever read the Bible and think, well, that's, that's funny? Like, they just basically walk up to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, we have a favor. And before we ask you, we want you to go ahead and say yes. Okay, that's exactly what happened. How many of you parents, you understand this? This is what your kids do to you, right? This is what kids do. Right? My daughter Esther, she says, daddy, daddy, I have a favor. I'm like, what do you want, baby girl? She's like, just say yes. Just say yes first and then, and then ask. I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm fixing to get myself into. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening here. The disciples, they go to Jesus. I have a question, but before I ask this question, I want you to go ahead and say yes. The disciples do it. My daughter does it. You do it. You just call it prayer. Hey, Jesus, I want you to tell me whatever it is and just say yes. Just saying. Pretty funny. Read the Bible. Let's just keep moving. That's not my sermon. Anyway, verse 36. And he said to them, Jesus like, this is going to be good. What do you want for me to do for you. Love it. And then here's what they say to him. Incredible. Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left. Where? In glory. Do you know what glory is? Glory is where great people sit. The disciples, they go, hey, Jesus, um, we want to sit next to you in glory. It's a, it's a question over greatness. And we're going to talk about this in just a sec. But before we dive into this, we need to pause. And I need to explain something to you about the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, there's something that is unique. And it's not found in the other four Gospels. It's what's called the messianic secret. It is the secret to Jesus's greatness. So for the disciples, they've been with Jesus now for three years. We're in Mark 10. They got called in Mark chapter 1. They've been walking with him. They've seen him preach, teach, heal, perform miracles, cast out demons, walk on water, feed multitudes. They've seen Jesus does amazing things, and they know that Jesus is great. In Mark chapter 8, Peter makes the first public declaration that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. 
And so they've been walking with Jesus. They know he is the Messiah. That word Messiah, it means the Christ. It means the anointed one, the holy one. It is the promised one from all the way back in the Old Testament. It is the soon coming king who is gonna come and establish a kingdom and his rule and his reign would never end. And that was the Messiah. And they're like, this is the Messiah. And we're going to where? Jerusalem. Oh, well, that's the holy land. That's the holy place. And here's the holy king. And we're going to the holy place, which means he's going to get a throne. We would like one of those thrones. They're like, Jesus, can we get one of those thrones? Can we sit next to you? Can we be with you? Because they wanted to be great and they wanted their position of glory. Now, is it okay for you to desire to be great? It all depends. See, greatness depends on the definition. Greatness depends on the definition. Here, the disciples, they didn't understand the type of Messiah that Jesus was gonna be. They thought the Messiah was a military leader that was gonna come, overthrow Rome, set up a new government and a new religion, and he was gonna sit on thrones here on earth, and he was gonna rule and reign, and everybody was gonna come and bow down before him, and it was gonna be good for them, and they wanted they wanted a throne. They're like, we've been with you, can we get us one of those thrones? Can we sit with you in glory? See, for the disciples, they didn't understand the secret to Jesus' greatness. They thought that greatness is when other people glorify you. They thought greatness is when other people come see you. They thought greatness is when everybody comes and bows down before you. They thought greatness, but they were thinking in ways of the kingdom of the world. See, for them, the Messiah was going to come and set up a worldly kingdom, but that's not the kind of kingdom that Jesus came to establish. Jesus didn't come to establish the kingdom of the world. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of God's definition of greatness is different than the kingdoms of this, of this world. See, if your definition of greatness is that everybody comes and sees you, then your definition is wrong. But if your definition of greatness is that everybody comes and sees him, then it's okay for you to be great. In fact, it's good for you to desire to be great. If your definition of greatness is that of the kingdom of the world or looks no different than the ways of this world, then your desire for greatness is wrong. But if your desire for greatness is to look like the kingdom of God, then your desire is good. If your desire for greatness is that people come and glorify you, then your desire is wrong. But if your desire for greatness is that you exist to glorify him, then your desire is good. See, the definition of greatness really depends on where you stand. Do you stand in the kingdom of the world or do you stand in the kingdom of God? See, the disciples, they didn't understand this because they were still thinking in ways of the kingdom of the world. And so Jesus here, he is going to, he's going to give them a better definition. And he's going to reveal to them the secret to his greatness. And here's what Jesus is going to tell them. If you want to be great, then you need to learn how to suffer. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. I love that. Do you notice here that Jesus does not rebuke them? He doesn't rebuke them. He says, you want to be great? How dare you? I can't believe you want to be great. You want to do something with your life. You want to make a difference in the world. I can't believe you. Don't you know who we are? We're Christians. We can't be great. That's not what he says. So you notice Jesus here, he doesn't rebuke them. Instead, he just redefines it. That he is redefining what greatness looks like. And he's going to tell them it's through, it's through suffering. Look at what he says. You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized in, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or to sit at my left hand is not mine to grant, but is for those who have been prepared. See, many of us, we have been lied to. We've been told that if you give your life to Jesus, then everything's going to be great. And then we gave our lives to Jesus and, well, you know, there is still suffering in this world. And we're like wondering, hey, what happened? I thought everything was going to be great. I thought everything was going to be amazing. Give your life to Jesus. When you die, you go to heaven. They forgot to tell you about the middle part. Yeah, that's called life. And in life, guess what there's going to be? There's going to be suffering. You will suffer. I will suffer. We all have or will or will continue to suffer. In this life, there is suffering. Some people, they were told, hey, your life is terrible and horrible and miserable. Give your life to Jesus. It's going to be great. And it's all singing hymns and skipping and 
you know, lollipops and rainbows, and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and you're never going to have any problems. They lied to you. That's just not the way that it is, and that's not what we see actually in the scriptures. Jesus tells them, hey, in this life, there will be troubles, and in this life, here's what you can expect. You can expect to suffer. He's teaching them. He's preparing their hearts for what's going to come next. They want to be great. And friends, I would tell you, the Christian life is the greatest life. It is the best life. There is a purpose and a reason to your life. The Christian life is a great life, and the path to greatness is paved with suffering. The path to greatness is paved with Suffering. I love what Jesus does here. Jesus actually connects the sacraments with suffering. Did you notice that? He talks about the cup and he talks about the baptism. What is the cup? The cup symbolizes Jesus's, Jesus's life, but it's the broken body. It's the shed blood of Jesus. Do you know what that is? That's suffering. Every time we take Holy Communion, which we do every week as a church, people come forward, and it's the broken body, shed blood, and we're reminding ourselves of the suffering that Jesus went through for us. So because Jesus goes through suffering, we don't have to go through suffering alone. What does the the water represent? The water represents the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know what that is? That is suffering. Every person who's going to get baptized today, they are identifying with the suffering, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That just as Jesus suffered, we too will suffer, but we do not have to suffer alone. This is, this is the way that the kingdom of God works. See, I am not that smart. Okay, I don't know if you knew that or not. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you. I am not that smart, and I'm not very organized. Okay, If you haven't hung out with me, ask my team. They know. Not very organized. And here's what I find so incredible is that we started the Gospel of Mark in April 2018, okay? It's a long time ago. This is like 51 weeks in Mark's Gospel. And yet, here we are on Baptism Sunday, and look what we're looking at today. Baptisms. Just so you know, I can't plan that. But God, in his sovereignty, he did plan that because God knew that some of you were here to be baptized today, and I believe that he has a special word just for you. And some of you, you're here today, and you didn't know that you're going to be baptized, and I believe that God brought you here in his grace and in his wisdom and in his providence, because he has a word just for you. And here's the word, right? Baptism is a celebration. I love baptisms. It is the best day to see life change go public. Baptism is an is a outward display of an inward change. It is letting the whole world know that I am with Jesus. I am on team Jesus, and Jesus has changed my life. Baptism... Baptism is the first step in following Jesus. So there is no class you have to take. There is no test that you have to pass. All you got to do, give your life to him, get in the water. That's it. That's all you need to do. Baptism is the first step. Every first Sunday of the month, we have next steps. You don't have to wait to next steps because baptism is the first step. And it is a celebration. It is exciting. We get fired up when it comes to baptisms because baptism, it really, truly is a celebration. But... Here's what you need to know, that after the celebration, there will be suffering. After the celebration, there will be suffering. I've seen so many people who get baptized, and they're fired up, they're excited, they're ready, and they get out of the water, and they step right into the middle of a war, and they were not prepared. See, the water leads to a war, and the celebration leads to suffering. And you need to know, what are you going to do when that takes place? What are you going to do when that happens? And you have to ask yourself this question, what will I do when I suffer? Because the path to greatness is paved with suffering. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to con you. I don't want to trick you into giving your life to Jesus. I want to prepare you for what you are going to experience and what comes next. It starts with the celebration, but there will be suffering because the path to greatness is paved with suffering. And you have to decide what you're going to do. See, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the world will tell you, don't suffer. The kingdom of the world will tell you, avoid suffering at all costs. Get away from suffering. If something is difficult, if something is hard, if something takes your time or your energy, your devotion or your emotion, then it's not good for you. Just walk away. So many people in the kingdom of the world, they are allergic to suffering. I don't want it. I don't want the pain. I don't want the inconvenience. My life is to be of comfort and of ease and of convenience. That's my life. And the kingdom of the world will say, get away from any form of suffering. This is why people 
people kill relationships, kill friendships, kill marriages, quit their job, walk away from Jesus, walk out on the church, walk out on their kids, because they have no understanding of what it means to suffer well. See, the question, friends, is not will you suffer, because you will suffer. It's when you suffer, how well will you suffer? It's not a question of when, it's a question of how well will you suffer? Because all of us are gonna suffer. We live in a broken and fallen world. Have you watched the news lately? Suffering. Have you walked outside lately? Suffering. You and me and all of us, we will suffer. The question is, how well will we suffer? And if you live in the kingdom of the world, you will waste your suffering. That your suffering will be wasted on yourself. And here's what I've discovered. Suffering people tend to be selfish people. Because they're still thinking about their greatness and how they failed. They're still thinking about all the things that have happened to them and done to them and all the things that they deserved and all the things that have taken place in their life and they're suffering and because they are not using it, they are wasting it and it ends in shame, it ends in guilt, it ends in condemnation, it leads them to silence and suffering people become selfish people because they waste their suffering on themselves. If you run away from suffering, here's this, you are running away from the very thing that God wants to use to make you great. If you spend your entire life running away from suffering, you will be running away from the very thing that God wants to use to make you great because the path to greatness is paved with suffering. The kingdom of God comes along and says, don't run away from suffering. Run to me with your suffering. Let me use it. Let me invest it. Let me take it. Let me bless it. Let me bless others through it. Don't waste your suffering. Bring it to me and let God use it. Do not waste your suffering. Instead, invest your suffering and use it for the kingdom of God. Take a lesson from James and John. They said, we can be baptized in your baptism. We can drink from the cup. And Jesus says, you will drink from the cup and you will be baptized into the baptism that I'm baptized in. James and John, they didn't understand the secret to Jesus' greatness here in Mark chapter 10, but in the book of Acts, they did. As the story of the Bible continues, after the resurrection, James and John, along with the other disciples, they become pastors and church leaders and missionaries. And in Acts chapter 6, James is the first one to actually die a martyr's death. James is beaten and he is killed by the Roman officials and the religious leaders. And James's martyred death actually became what is known as the diaspora, which is when the church become dispersed and they start sending missionaries out all across the world because of the persecution and the suffering that James endured. And guess what? The only reason that Redemption Church is here today is because James was willing to drink the cup. James was willing to get in the water. James was willing to suffer. And he didn't waste his suffering. He invested his suffering in the kingdom of God. And 2,000 years later, downtown Beaumont, Texas, Redemption Church is celebrating four years because James learned to suffer well. John was the only of the disciples who did not die a martyr's death. Instead, as an old man, he was boiled alive in oil and exiled to the island of Patmos, where he wrote five books of the Bible. The only reason we have our Bible is because John, he learned to suffer and he learned to suffer well. He did not waste his suffering. I mean, what would it be like if James and John, they just decided, whoa, no, I don't want to do that. That sounds very difficult, Jesus. I don't want to do that. That sounds very hard. Suffering? No, thank you. I'm allergic to suffering. What, what, what would happen if James and John would have, would have done that? Well, you and me, we would not be here and we would still be in our sins. I'm grateful for men like James and John who learned how to suffer because the path to greatness is paved with suffering. Listen, I know you look at me on the stage and you think, man, Byron, he is so great. <laughs> and you think, oh, he's so incredible and awesome. He's so amazing. He's so funny. But my life has been one of suffering. We all suffer. We all go through suffering. The question is, what are we going to do with our suffering? Are we going to run from it, or are we going to run to God with it? What are you going to do with your suffering? The path to greatness is paved with suffering. I mean, in my life, suffering. My mom, alcoholic, never met my dad. As a kid, you know what that is? It's suffering. I was raised by great-grandparents who did love me, but I didn't escape from suffering. 
As a teenager, I struggled with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, multiple attempts of suicide as a teenager, suffering. I've developed a drug addiction in my teens and 20s, alcoholism, uh, suffering. When me and Ashley, my wife, when we got married, right after we got married, one of the first things that she had to do was she got a phone call that her dad, who she hadn't seen since she was 12, died as a homeless alcoholic on the streets of Houston. And she hadn't seen him since he was a little girl. And the first thing she had to do is push the button for the cremation of her dad. It's suffering. Miscarriages, infertility, suffering. But you know what we did? We learned to use that. We learned to trust God with that. We learned to run to God instead of running from God with that. And everything you see in our life is nothing more than a result of learning to suffer well. This entire church is a result of suffering. You are a result of my suffering. Thank you. I got called into ministry in the early 20s, in my early 20s, and I spent the first eight years as a pastor stacking chairs, never getting a paycheck. It's suffering. We planted our first church in Houston, 10 people in three years. That's suffering. Then we moved to New York and we planted another church, and it snowed for eight months out of the year. Do you know what New York is in the Greek? Suffering. <laughs> but it was all that that led us back here. See, all that suffering was a path to what God was doing here for greatness. And if I was unwilling to walk with Jesus through the suffering, then I'd never be able to experience the goodness and the graciousness and the glory and the greatness that is Redemption Church today. You have to walk with Jesus, follow Jesus down the path because the path to greatness is paved with suffering. I don't know what suffering you have been through. I don't know what suffering you are going through. I don't know your story, but here's what I do know. I do know two things. One, God does not cause your suffering, but two, God will always use your suffering. Do not waste it. Do not walk away from it. Do not avoid it. You need to use it, invest it, and let God bless it and bless others. The path to greatness is paved with suffering. You will suffer. The question is, how will you suffer, and will you run to Jesus with your suffering? That is the first secret to greatness. The second secret to greatness is to learn to serve. There is suffering, and then there is serving. Here's what Jesus tells them. And when the 10 heard it, those are the other disciples, they became indignant. They're jealous. They're upset. They're like, how dare them ask that question? It would be great. They were indignant at James and John. And so Jesus called them to him and said, hey, let's have a team meeting. Huddle up, everybody. Come on, come on, come on. Bring it on in. Bring it on in. Sit down. Let me talk to you for a moment. You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever want to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be the slave of all. The disciples here, they want to be great. James and John, hey, Jesus, we want to sit in your chair. Can we do that? Because we want to be great. And then the other disciples, they hear it, and then they get jealous. Do you know why they were jealous? Because James and John had the guts to ask what they wanted. James and John, they were just bold enough to vocalize what everyone else was internalizing. They just wanted to be great too. And James and John asked for their chair. How dare them ask for the thing that I actually really want? See, they want to be great. See, this isn't actually the first time we've had this conversation about greatness, it showed up in Mark chapter 8. The disciples, they're walking down the road, and Jesus is a little bit ahead of them. They're heading in towards uh, the, the area where Jesus is going to go do ministry. And if you remember, the disciples, they're, they're arguing. They're bickering. They're like, I can't believe that. I want to be great. I'm the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. I'm, my name's Thaddeus. I'm going to be the greatest. And then Peter's like, uh, it's me. I'm Peter. I'm the greatest, right? And so they're, they're, they're arguing, and Jesus turns around and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, nothing, Jesus. <laughs> they're like, no, no, go ahead, tell me, tell me. They're like, well, Jesus, we were wondering who the greatest is. Now, you would think they'd be like, that's probably the guy who can water ski without a boat. He's the greatest. He, he would be the greatest, right? But that's not what they said. 
Peter's like, Thaddeus over here, he thinks he's going to be the greatest. And Bartholomew's like, it's me. They're like, who are you? Are you even a disciple, Bartholomew? I don't even know who you are. Peter's like, Jesus, don't worry about it. I told him I'm the rock. I got this. I'm the greatest. They've already had this conversation. If you remember back to that message, Jesus, he doesn't rebuke them. Instead, he redefines greatness for them. Jesus, he he pulls them and he says, it's okay for you to want to be great, but let me give you a better definition of what greatness is. And if you remember back to that sermon, I said something that made a couple people mad, so I'm going to say it again because I love you. And this is what I said. If serving is beneath you, then greatness is beyond you. Jesus is redefining greatness. See, they thought greatness is when other people serve them. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Greatness, according to the kingdom of God, is when you learn to serve others. Here's what Jesus said. I'll say it again. If serving is beneath you, then greatness is beyond you. Just so you know that I'm not making this up and I'm not trying to just make you feel bad, let me go ahead and just read you the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. In red letters, coming from the Lord Jesus himself, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be, what's the word? It's okay for you to want to be great. In fact, it is great for you to want to be great. How does a person become great? They must be, what's the word? That didn't sound very great. (laughs) Must become the servant, and whoever would be first among you must become the slave. If serving is beneath you, then greatness is beyond you. According to the kingdom of God, it's not about other people serving you. It's about you learning how to serve others. See, for the disciples, they were still thinking like the kingdom of the world. They wanted other people to come see them, come serve them, come be with them, come look at them, come take care of them. They thought, I'm going to get me one of these thrones, and everybody's going to come, and everybody's going to see me, and everybody's going to serve me. Jesus says, no, it shall not be so among you. Instead, the kingdom of God is when you serve others. You want to be first? It's a race to the bottom. You you want to be great? Okay, great. Here's what you do. You serve others. See, the disciples, they were still thinking like the kingdom of the world. And here's what I was thinking this week. This world, we are all obsessed with celebrities. The disciples, that's really what they want to be. They want to be celebrities. We're obsessed with celebrity culture. Now, we would say we're not obsessed with celebrities, but we're really obsessed with celebrities. And sometimes we're obsessed with how much we don't like celebrities, and that's the reason why we follow them. So then we can gossip about them and post about them on Facebook. This is the reason that whenever you go to the supermarket or CVS, then you have all of the magazines on the front with different celebrities because people see it, and they put them there because people buy them. And then we follow them on Instagram, we follow them on social media, we watch them on TMZ, and we talk about them in the office, and we are a culture that is enamored with celebrities. And the entire American marketing machine is nothing more than just putting celebrities in front of you. And they say, buy this, do this, act like this. Oh, what are they wearing? What are they doing? Oh, look at that movie. Did you see this? Did you see that? Hey, drive this car, wear this watch, wear this makeup, do your nails this way, and then you can be like them. And they put celebrities in front of us, and then we begin to look up to them, and we want to be like them. See, the disciples, they're thinking about celebrities. But this whole idea has actually begun to creep into the church as well. That we have this same problem in the church We see all these different pastors. We watch them on YouTube. We follow them on Instagram. We listen to their sermons. We download their podcasts. Oh, did you listen to this pastor? Oh, did you listen to this sermon? Oh, we follow this series. We do it with worship bands. Oh, hey, here's this new worship band. Oh, this is incredible. Oh, this new song dropped. It's so amazing. Did you listen to this album? I love this one. It's a fast song. It's a slow song. It's a medium song. It's a great song. I love this. And we listen to the preachers, and we listen to the bands, and we follow all the churches, and then here's what happens. Then we start thinking, well, how come my church isn't like that? You say, oh, my preacher doesn't preach like that. All I get is Byron. He's going to yell at me again (laughs) or make a hamburger joke. (laughs) That's Byron, right? And you're like, oh, how come my worship band doesn't sound like that? I want to go to that church. And then what happens is this. Church becomes a consumer commodity to where you're following and watching and listening and singing to everybody else's songs. And then you begin to wonder, how come my church isn't like that? And then you start to think your church is just average. 
And then you come in, and you're like, ah, there's no celebrities in Beaumont. And you know what? There are no celebrities in Beaumont. Sorry. But you know what there are? There are men and women who love to serve. God is not looking for celebrities. God is looking for servants. There's a lot of amazing churches here in Beaumont with men and women who are celebrities in God's eyes because they have learned to serve. Pastor Reg at Praise Church, he is a servant man of God. Pastor Brent from Encounter Church, a servant man of God. Pastor Joe Worley from First Baptist Groves, Pastor Donnie Flippo at Gospel Center Church, they are servants and they are faithful and they are famous in the kingdom of God. God is not looking for celebrities. God is looking for servants. And if you come to Jesus looking to be a celebrity, you're still thinking like the world. But if you come to Jesus and you are humble and you're willing to serve, that's who God looks for. God is not looking for celebrities. God is looking for servants. Do you know who the greatest in our church is? Do you know who the greatest is? It's not me. The lights are on me, but it's not me. Do you know who the greatest in our church is? My wife, Ashley. You know why? Because she has to put up with me all the time. Because, because she may never preach a sermon or lead a class, and she's not over our redemption women, and she doesn't work in kids. You know what she does? She raises two daughters, and she feeds them, and she cares for them, and she nurses them. And when they finally do go down for a nap, she opens her Bible, she hits her knees, and she prays for every single one of you. Amen. And you will never know that because you don't see it. You know who the greatest in our church is? The greatest in our church, I saw them yesterday morning at 7 o'clock. It was Amber Locator and Canaan. They were up here mopping and sweeping the floors and cleaning the bathrooms at 7 o'clock in the morning so we could have church today. And you didn't even know that. According to the kingdom of God, they are the greatest. According to the kingdom of God, it's Hunter Zool in the shadows, literally in the shadows right now running slides. That is, the, that is the greatest in our church. It's those who serve in redemption kids. They are the greatest. It's those who lead community groups. It's those who faithfully bring food to their community groups, amen? Those are the greatest. The greatest in our church is Bob and Kim Foreman who have a foster home of teenage boys and they still find time to meet with young women. It's Meredy Ellis who works 60 hours a week. Chuck Ellis who works 60 hours a week and then show up on Saturdays to do inner healing and personal mentoring with men and women who did not have fathers. That is the greatest. The greatest in our church is Miss Robbie who adopts young girls and then she brings them and they serve communion to you when you come up here today. That is the greatest in the kingdom of God. It's not the ones on the stage. It's not the ones with the swipe up feature on Instagram. It's the men and the women who are willing to do the hard work to get down on their knees and pray for their church, to give generously to their church, to serve their church, to serve other people because they know that Jesus served them and Jesus is the greatest. And if I want to be great, I need to be like Jesus and I got to get up and I got to do something with my life. I got to be a part of something bigger. I got to learn to serve. That's who the greatest is. God is not looking for celebrities, but you know what? He loves, and God loves servants. God's looking for servants. If you want to be great, then you learn to serve others, which leads us to the last point. The reason these are called secrets is because nobody likes doing these things, and that's the reason why nobody also will be great, is because they don't want to learn to suffer. People don't want to learn to serve, and you know what else? People don't like to sacrifice. But if you want to be great, Jesus is going to tell them the greatest thing you will ever do is to learn to sacrifice. Look at Mark 10, 45. For even the son of man, that is the messianic title of Jesus. It comes from the book of Daniel. It is the coming of the king. It is the Messiah who has come to liberate and to set free his people. They were in bondage looking forward to the day that the Messiah would come and set them free. And then Jesus picks up the messianic title of the son of man, came not to be served, but to serve. I want to pause here. The Lord just dropped this in my heart, and I want to share this with someone. Jesus will never ask you to do something he is unwilling to do himself. Jesus came to serve. And the reason Jesus asks you to suffer and the reason Jesus asks you to serve is because he would never ask you to do something he was unwilling to do himself. This is so different than any other religion. This is so different than any other philosophy or ideology or any other form of leadership that every other religion, every other ideology, 
Every other leadership would tell you from the boss's perspective, you do what I tell you to do and don't worry about what I do. No, no, Jesus comes and he shows us the way. And he shows us by modeling it and giving and doing it himself. Jesus would never ask you to do something that he was unwilling to do himself. He says, the son of man, God in the flesh, very God, very God, the second member of the Trinity, the promised holy one, the Messiah is come and he has come. Why? To be a servant and to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Who did Jesus give his life for? For many. That word ransom is a very important word. It it comes from the Greek word lutron. And what lutron is, it's the price that a person is willing to pay for the freedom of another person. That it is the price of a slave. See, in that day, people would become slaves because they would have accrued a debt of indentured servanthood and they would be sold and they would be bought in and out of slavery from one slave owner to the next slave owner to the next slave owner. And there was nothing they could do to be free because they can't free themselves. And there was something called a lutron, which is the price that one free person would pay to free another person. This is the ransom. But the problem with the ransom is that it was set so extraordinarily high that nobody could ever pay it. Because think about it, how would you ever buy your own freedom? You're a slave. Do you know how much slaves make? Nothing. You cannot buy your freedom as a slave. Somebody else has to come and pay for your freedom. But here's the problem. Nobody loves you. Do you know why? Because you're a slave. Nobody's going to pay the price for you. You can't pay the price for you. And when you're a slave, you're a slave. You're always going to be a slave because that's what slavery is. And when God sees us and we're living in the kingdom of the world, guess what God sees? Slaves. That you are a slave to the kingdom of the world. You think you're free, but you're really just a slave. You're a slave to your lust. You're a slave to your passions. You're a slave to your desires. You're a slave to your depression. You're a slave to your addiction. You're a slave to the defeat. You're a slave to discouragement. You're a slave to the things that hold you back and hinder you and keep you awake at night. You are a slave to your false identity and your false assurity. You are a slave in this world because you live according to the kingdom of this world. Everything you see out there is slavery because it's the kingdom of the world. And there's nothing you can do to escape it. So here's what Jesus does. Jesus comes and he pays the ransom. The kingdom of God comes and he pays the ransom. But he doesn't just pay the ransom for one. For one would have been almost impossible. But he pays the ransom for who? For many. And how does he pay the ransom? Through his sacrifice. He sacrifices his life. The price for sin is great, but the payment that Jesus made was greater. Do you know what what the price of sin is? Do you know how much slavery pays? Death. For the wages of sin is death, and the price of sin always leads to death, but the payment that Jesus made through his sacrifice as the ransom is greater than death, that Jesus comes to give something greater than death. Jesus comes and lays down his life so that you and me, through him, we can have the greatest gift, we can have new life. Jesus pays the ransom with his sacrifice. The price that somebody is willing to pay, you know what that's called? That's called a sacrifice. And many people in the kingdom of the world, they know nothing about sacrifice because they're unwilling to give. Here's what the kingdom of God does. The kingdom of God takes. All the kingdom of the world rather does is take. It takes your heart. It takes your hope. It takes your soul. It takes your energy. It takes your identity. It takes your purpose. It takes your reason till eventually you're nothing more than just the shell of the man that God has created you to be. But you were made in the image and likeness of God. He made you for something greater. And so here's what Jesus does through the ransom. The kingdom of the world takes. So Jesus came to take too. And you know what Jesus takes? Your sin. Jesus takes your shame. Jesus takes your guilt. Jesus takes your condemnation. Jesus takes the things that hold you back. Jesus takes your old nature. Jesus takes your old identity. Jesus takes your old self. And you know what he gives? He gives you himself and he gives you a new self. See, the kingdom of the world takes, the kingdom of God gives. 
Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. And in the kingdom of God, Jesus loves to give. He gives you hope. He gives you grace. He gives you mercy. He gives you salvation. He gives you his, his free gift of grace. He gives you eternity. He gives you a church. He gives you a community. Jesus gives. Greatness is about giving. And Jesus gives the greatest gift. Jesus gives himself by paying the ransom through his sacrifice. Jesus, he gives. The apostle Paul, he picks this up in Philippians. He writes this, that Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not count inequality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, just like you and me, he lived as we lived, he suffered as we suffered, he served as we served. Being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is our Jesus, and this is what he has done for you and for me and for us. Martin Luther, he calls this the great exchange, that at the cross, Jesus trades places with us. That at the cross, a great exchange happens to where Jesus becomes a slave so that slaves can be set free. That Jesus becomes sin so that our sins can be forgiven. That at the cross, Jesus takes our sins upon himself and gives us his sinlessness. At the cross, Jesus, he takes our shame and he gives us his righteousness. At the cross, he takes our guilt and he gives us his joy. At the cross, he takes our old life and through his sacrifice, he gives us a new life. And here is the big idea. Because Jesus sacrificed, you too can sacrifice. Jesus gave his life for you, the question is, will you give your life to him? Do you want to be great? Give your life to Jesus. Do you want to do something amazing and wonderful? Do you want to make a difference in the world? Do you want to leave a legacy? Do you want to be a part of something bigger? Do you want to have joy? Do you want to have hope? Do you want to have peace? Do you want to have comfort? Do you want to have a surety? Do you want all of these things? Here's what you do. Give your life to Jesus. Jesus gave his life for you. Will you give your life to him? Because friends, the secret to greatness is Jesus. Jesus is the secret to greatness. Jesus served greater than anyone who ever served. And if you want to be great, give your life to Jesus, serve like Jesus. Jesus suffered greater than anyone will ever suffer. You want to be great, give your life to Jesus, and he will teach you how to suffer well. Do you want to be one who is great? Then sacrifice like Jesus, because Jesus was willing to make the sacrifice for you. Give your life to him, and he will give you a brand new life life. Jesus is the secret to greatness. And here is the great thing, is that Jesus is the greatest. See, friends, we're not great because of us. We can be great because of him. That greatness is not inside of us. Greatness is found in him. And because of him, he is working through his spirit in us and for us and through us for his glory, for his greatness. And when we follow him, guess what happens? Greatness We can be great because of Jesus. You can do great things with your life because of Jesus. You can see great, amazing things in your life because of Jesus. And if you want to be great, give your life to Jesus. The Christian life is the greatest life because it is a life where we learn how to suffer. It is a life that we learn how to serve. And it is a life that we learn how to be like Jesus through his sacrifice. Redemption Church, we are great because we serve a great God. We are great because we have a great Jesus. We are great because we have a great word. We have a great purpose. We have a great mission. We belong to a great kingdom and Redemption Church. We are a great church because of Jesus. That's the secret to his greatness. And you know what? Today is going to be a great day. Do you know why? Do you know why today's a great day? Because baptisms are taking place. It's great. It's great. And if you're here today, we want to cheer you on. We want to celebrate with you. And we also want to walk with you through the celebration. We want to walk with you through the suffering. And we want to help you learn to be great. And so today, if you are here and you're getting baptized, it is a great day. And we want to cheer you on. So here's what we're going to do. For those of us who have signed up to be baptized, not yet. Y'all are too eager. Hold on, hold on, hold on. 
I'm gonna dismiss you in just a moment. We're gonna count down from three, two, one, and we're gonna dismiss you to go get baptized. But I wanna give a word to those who are here today and you wanna give your life to Jesus. Can I encourage you? Baptism is the first step. If you're here today and you didn't know you were gonna get baptized, God had a special word just for you. He included it in Mark chapter 10, 35 through 45, just for you. And if you've given your life to Jesus, do not wait for greatness. Experience it today. Get baptized today. Don't put off till tomorrow what God wants to do in your life today. And so don't worry. We got it all covered for you. You say, but I didn't bring anything. We brought it for you. See, the Holy Spirit told us you were going to be here, so we went ahead and covered it all. Because he knew if he told you you were going to be here, you wouldn't have come. And so, so he brought you here on, uh, he led you here. So I got shorts in the back. We got shirts in the back. We got towels in the back. We got everything for you. And you say, well, I, I didn't know. It's okay. Now you do. So we're going to give you opportunity to get baptized as, as well. Okay, so on the count of three, two, one, what I want to do is this. Now, Redemption Church, we party when we get baptized here. Okay. The church that I grew up in, right, somebody got baptized, sounded like they were playing golf. They were like, it's like, did somebody just get brought back to new life in Christ? I don't know. Are we a church here? I don't know what's going on. Right? You know, it's okay to be excited in church, right? Like, it's okay. In heaven, there's going to be a lot of rejoicing, so you better get practicing. It's okay to get excited in church. It's okay to get fired up in church. So here's what we're going to do. What we're going to do is this. I am going to count down three, two, one. We're going to dismiss everybody to go and be baptized. We have an usher team in the back. They're going to walk you through. They're going to change, get you, help you get changed. They're not going to change you. <laughs> Jesus can change you. Doug won't. And they're going to help you get changed. And then we're going to come back in here and we're going to have baptisms. And all of us, we're going to be taking communion and praying for you. And then we're going to get baptized together. Okay. All right. So count down three. Ready? Okay. Three, Three, two, wait, 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 hold on. All right. Let's do it again. Three, two, one. Go be baptized. Yes. Hey, stand up together. Let's stand up together and cheer these guys on. Yay. Hallelujah. That is so good. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.